Book two, chapter twenty three of Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty, by William Bradford, rendered into modern English by Harold Paget. Book two, chapter twenty three. I must open this year with an event which brought great sadness and mourning to them all. About the 18th of April died their reverend elder, my dear and loving friend, Mr. William Brewster, a man who had done and suffered much for the Lord Jesus and the gospel's sake, and had borne his part in weal or woe with this poor persecuted church for over thirty-five years in England, Holland, and this wilderness, and had done the Lord and them faithful service in his calling notwithstanding the many troubles and sorrows he passed through the lord upheld him to a great age he was nearly fourscore years if not quite when he died he had this blessing added by the lord to all the rest he died in his bed in peace in the midst of his friends who mourned and wept over him and gave him what help and comfort they could and he too comforted them whilst he could his illness was not long, and until the last day he did not keep his bed. His speech continued until about the last half-day, and then failed him, and at about nine or ten o'clock that evening he died, without any pangs at all. A few hours before he drew his breath short, and some few minutes from the end he drew it long, as a man fallen into a sound sleep, without any gaspings, and so sweetly departed this life into a better i would ask was he the worse for any of his former sufferings what do i say worse nay he was surely the better for now they were added to his honour it is a manifest token says the apostle second thessalonians one five six and seven of the righteous judgment of god that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of god for which ye also suffer seeing it is a righteous thing with god to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled rest with us when the lord jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and first peter four fourteen if you be reproached for the name of christ happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of god resteth upon you what though he lacked the riches and pleasures of the world in this life and pompous monuments at his funeral yet the memorial of the just shall be blessed when the name of the wicked shall rot with their marble monuments proverbs ten seven i should say something of his life if to say a little were not worse than to be silent but i cannot wholly forbear though perhaps more may be written at some later time after he had attained some learning viz the knowledge of the latin tongue and some insight into greek and had spent some little time at cambridge then being first seasoned with the seeds of grace and virtue he went to court and served that religious and godly gentleman mr davison for several years when he was secretary of state his master found him so discreet and faithful that he trusted him more than all the others who were round him and employed him in all matters of greatest trust and secrecy he esteemed him rather as a son than a servant and knowing his wisdom and godliness he would converse with him in private more as a friend and familiar than as a master he accompanied him when he was sent as ambassador by the queen into the low countries in the earl of leicester's time besides other important affairs of state to receive possession of the cautionary towns in token of which the keys of flushing were delivered to him in her majesty's name 
Mr. Davison held them some time, handing them over to Mr. Brewster, who kept them under his pillow the first night. On his departure the Netherlands honored Mr. Davison with a gold chain, he gave it into the keeping of Mr. Brewster, and when they arrived in England commanded him to wear it as they rode through the country until they arrived at court. He remained with him through his troubles, when later he was dismissed in connection with the death of the Queen of Scots, and for some good time after, doing him much faithful service. Afterwards Mr. Brewster went and lived in the country, much respected by his friends and the gentlemen of the neighborhood, especially the godly and religious. He did much good there, in promoting and furthering religion, not only by his practice and example and the encouragement of others, but by procuring good preachers for the places thereabouts, and persuading others to help and assist in such work, generally taking most of the expense on himself, sometimes beyond his means. Thus he continued for many years, doing the best he could, and walking according to the light he saw, till the Lord revealed himself further to him. In the end the tyranny of the bishops against godly preachers and people, in silencing the former and persecuting the latter, caused him and many more to look further into things, and to realize the unlawfulness of their episcopal callings, and to feel the burden of their many anti-Christian corruptions, which both he and they endeavored to throw off, in which they succeeded, as the beginning of this treatise shows. After they had joined themselves together in communion, as was mentioned earlier, he was a special help and support to them. On the Lord's Day they generally met at his house, which was a manor of the bishops, and he entertained them with great kindness when they came, providing for them at heavy expense to himself. He was the leader of those who were captured at Boston in Lincolnshire, suffering the greatest loss, and was one of the seven who were kept longest in prison and afterwards bound over to the assizes. After he came to Holland he suffered much hardship, having spent most of his means, with a large family to support, and being from his breeding and previous mode of life not so fit for such laborious employment as others were. But he always bore his troubles with much cheerfulness and content. Towards the latter part of those twelve years spent in Holland, his circumstances improved, and he lived well and plentifully, for through his knowledge of Latin he was able to teach many foreign students English. By his method they acquired it quickly and with great fluency, for he drew up rules to learn it by, after the manner of teaching Latin, and many gentlemen, both Danes and Germans, came to him, some of them being sons of distinguished men. By the help of some friends he also had means to set up a printing press, and thus had employment enough, and owing to many books being forbidden to be printed in England, they might have had more work than they could do. But on moving to this country all these things were laid aside again, and a new way of living must be framed, in which he was in no way unwilling to take his part and bear his burden with the rest, living often for many months without corn or bread, with nothing but fish to eat, and often not even that. He drank nothing but water for many years, indeed until five or six years before his death, and yet by the blessing of God he lived in health to a very old age. He labored in the fields as long as he was able, yet when the church had no other minister he taught twice every Sabbath, and that both powerfully and profitably, to the great edification and comfort of his hearers, many being brought to God by his ministry. He did more in this way in a single year than many who have their hundreds a year do in all their lives. 
as for his personal qualities he was favored above many he was wise and discreet and well spoken having a grave and deliberate utterance with a very cheerful spirit he was very sociable and pleasant among his friends of a humble and modest mind and a peaceable disposition undervaluing himself and his own abilities and sometimes overvaluing others he was innocent in his life and conversation which gained him the love of those without as well as those within nevertheless he would tell them plainly of their faults both public and privately but in such a way that it was usually well taken he was tender-hearted and compassionate with those in misery especially when they were of good birth and rank and had fallen into want and poverty either for religion's sake or through the oppression of others he would always say that of all men such deserved to be most pitied none displeased him more than those who would haughtily and proudly exalt themselves having risen from nothing and having little else to commend them than a few fine clothes or more means than others when preaching he deeply moved and stirred the affections and he was very plain and direct in what he taught being thereby the more profitable to his hearers he had a singularly good gift of prayer both public and private in ripping up the heart and conscience before god in the humble confession of sin and begging the mercies of god in christ for the pardon of it he always thought it better for ministers to pray oftener and divide their prayers than to be long and tedious except on special occasions such as days of humiliation and the like because he believed that heart and spirit especially in the weak could with difficulty continue so long to stand bent as it were towards god as is meet in prayer without flagging and failing in the government of the church which was proper to his office as elder he was careful to preserve good order and purity both in doctrine and communion and to suppress any error or contention that might begin to arise and accordingly god gave success to his endeavors in this all his days and he was given to see the fruit of his labors but i must break off though i have only touched the heads of a few things I cannot but take occasion here to wonder at the marvellous providence of God, that, notwithstanding the many changes these people went through, and the many enemies they had, and the difficulties they met with, so many of them should live to very old age. It was not only their reverend elder, for one swallow makes no summer, as they say, but many more of them, some dying about and before this time, and some still living, who reached sixty or sixty-five years of age, others seventy or over, and some nearly eighty, as he was. It must needs be accounted for by more than natural reasons, for it is found in experience that change of air, hunger, unwholesome food, much drinking of water, sorrows and troubles, etc., are all enemies to health, causing many diseases, loss of natural vigor, and shortness of life. Yet all those unfavorable conditions were their lot. They went from England to Holland, where they found both worse air and diet than where they came from thence enduring a long imprisonment as it were aboard ship they came to new england and their way of living here has already been shown and what crosses troubles fears wants and sorrows they were liable to 
in a sense they may say with the apostle second corinthians eleven twenty six and twenty seven that they were in journeyings often in perils of water in perils of robbers in perils by their own nation in perils by the heathen in perils in the wilderness in perils on the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness what was it then that upheld them it was god's visitation that preserved their spirits job ten twelve thou hast granted me life and favour and thy visitation hath preserved my spirits he that upheld the apostle upheld them they were persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed second corinthians four nine as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as chastened and not killed second corinthians six nine god it seems would have all men behold and observe such mercies and works of his providence as towards his people that they in like cases might be encouraged to depend upon god in their trials and also bless his name when they see his goodness towards others man lives not by bread alone it is not by good and dainty fare by peace and rest and heart's ease in enjoying the contentment and good things of this world only that health is preserved and life prolonged god in such examples would have the world see and behold that he can do it without them and if the world will shut its eyes and take no notice of it yet he would have his people see and consider it daniel was better off with pulse than others with the king's dainties jacob though he went from his own nation to another people and passed through famine fear and many afflictions yet lived till old age and died sweetly and rested in the lord as numberless other of god's servants have done and still shall do through god's goodness notwithstanding all the malice of their enemies when the branch of the wicked shall be cut off before his day job fifteen thirty two and bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days psalm fifty five twenty three owing to the plotting of the narragansetts ever since the pequot war the indians had formed a general conspiracy against the english in all parts as was partly discovered the year before and now confirmed by various discoveries and the free confessions of several indians from different places they therefore sought means to prevent the trouble and secure themselves which ultimately resulted in the formation of closer union and confederation defined by articles from which the following extracts are taken articles of confederation between the colonies under the governments of massachusetts new plymouth connecticut new haven and those in combination therewith whereas we all came into these parts of america with one and the same end and aim namely to advance the kingdom of our lord jesus christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace and whereas in our setting by a wise providence of god we find ourselves further dispersed along the sea-coasts and rivers than was at first intended so that we cannot as desired conveniently live under one government and jurisdiction and whereas we live surrounded by people of several tribes and strange languages who may hereafter prove injurious to us and our posterity we therefore conceive it our bounden duty without delay to enter into an immediate consociation among ourselves for mutual help and strength in our future concerns so that in national and religious affairs as in other respects we may be and continue one according to the tenor and true meaning of the ensuing articles one 
wherefore it is fully agreed and concluded by and between the parties or jurisdictions above named and they jointly and severally by these presents do conclude and agree that they all be and henceforth be called by the name of the united colonies of new england two the said united colonies for themselves and their posterity jointly and severally hereby enter into a firm and perpetual league of friendship and amity for offence and defence mutual advice and succour upon all just occasions both for preserving and propagating the truth of the gospel and for their own mutual safety and welfare three it is further agreed that the colonies which at present are or hereafter shall be begun within the limits of massachusetts shall be forever under massachusetts and shall have separate jurisdiction among themselves in all cases as a complete body and that new plymouth connecticut and new haven shall each of them similarly have separate jurisdiction and government within their limits Four it is by these confederates agreed that the expense of all just wars whether offensive or defensive upon what party or member of this confederation soever they fall shall both in men provisions and all other disbursements be borne by all the parties of this confederation in different proportions according to their different abilities according to the different numbers which from time to time shall be found in each jurisdiction upon a true and just count and that according to the different expenses of each jurisdiction and colony the whole advantage of the war if it please god to bless their endeavors whether in lands goods or persons shall be proportionately divided amongst the said confederates five it is further agreed that if these jurisdictions or any colony under or in combination with them be invaded by any enemy whatsoever upon notice and request of any three magistrates of the jurisdiction so invaded the rest of the confederates without any further meeting or expostulation shall forthwith send aid to the confederate in danger but in different proportions viz massachusetts a hundred men sufficiently armed and provided and each of the rest forty-five so armed and provided or any lesser number if less be required according to this proportion but none of the jurisdictions to exceed these numbers till by a meeting of the commissioners for this confederation further aid appear necessary and this proportion to continue till upon knowledge of greater numbers in each jurisdiction which shall be brought before the next meeting some other proportion be ordered six it is also agreed that for the management of all affairs concerning the whole confederation two commissioners shall be chosen by and out of each of these four jurisdictions namely two for massachusetts two for new plymouth two for connecticut and two for new haven being all in church fellowship with us who shall bring full power from their general courts respectively to hear examine weigh and determine all affairs of war or peace leagues aids expenses etc not intermeddling with the government of any of these jurisdictions which by the third article is reserved entirely to themselves but if these eight commissioners when they meet shall not all agree any six of the eight agreeing shall have power to settle and determine the business in question but if six do not agree then such proportions with their reasons so far as they have been debated shall be referred to the four general courts viz massachusetts new plymouth connecticut and new haven and if at all the said general courts the business so referred be concluded then it shall be prosecuted by the confederates and all their members 
it is further agreed that these eight commissioners shall meet once every year besides special meetings to consider and conclude all affairs belonging to this confederation which meeting shall always be on the first thursday in september and that the next meeting after the date of these presents which shall be accounted the second meeting shall be at boston in massachusetts the third at hartford the fourth at new haven the fifth at new plymouth and so on successively if in the meantime some central place be not agreed upon as more convenient for all the jurisdictions seven it is further agreed that at each meeting of these eight commissioners whether ordinary or extraordinary six of them agreeing may choose a president from among themselves whose duty shall be to direct the proceedings of that particular meeting but he shall be invested with no such power or respect as might hinder the propounding or progress of any business or in any way turn the scales otherwise than in the preceding article is agreed eight it is also agreed that the commissioners for this confederation hereafter at their meetings whether ordinary or extraordinary as they may have commission or opportunity shall endeavor to frame agreements in case of a civil nature in which all the colonies are interested for the preservation of peace among themselves and preventing as much as possible all causes of war or dispute with others nine and since the justest wars may have dangerous consequences especially for the smaller settlements in these united colonies it is agreed that neither massachusetts new plymouth connecticut nor new haven nor any member of any of them shall at any time hereafter begin undertake or engage themselves or this confederation or any part thereof in any way whatsoever sudden exigencies excepted without the consent and agreement of six of the forementioned eight commissioners ten that on special occasions when meetings are summoned by three magistrates of any jurisdiction if any of the commissioners do not come due notice having been given or sent it is agreed that four of the commissioners shall have power to direct a war which cannot be delayed and to send for due proportions of men out of each jurisdiction but not less than six shall determine the justice of the war or allow the demands or bills of expenses or cause any levies to be made for it eleven it is further agreed that if any of the confederates shall hereafter break any of these articles of agreement or in any way injure any one of the other jurisdictions such breach of agreement or injury shall be duly considered by the commissioners for the other jurisdictions that both peace and this present confederation may be entirely preserved without violation twelve lastly this perpetual confederation and its several articles being read and seriously considered both by the general court of massachusetts and by the commissioners for new plymouth connecticut and new haven is fully allowed and confirmed by three of the aforenamed confederates viz massachusetts connecticut and new haven the commissioners for new plymouth having no commission to conclude request time to advise with their general court at a meeting of the commissioners for the confederation held at boston on the seventh of september it appearing that the general court of new plymouth and the several townships thereof have read considered and approved these articles of confederation as appears by commission from their general court bearing date of the twenty ninth of august sixteen forty three to mr edward winslow and mr william collier to ratify and confirm the same on their behalfs we therefore the commissioners for massachusetts connecticut and new haven do also for our several governments subscribe to them john winthrop governor of massachusetts thomas dudley theophany eaton george fenwick 
Edward Hopkins, Thomas Gregson. At their first meeting held at Boston on the above-mentioned date, amongst other things they had the following matter of great importance to consider. The Narragansetts, after subduing the Pequots, thought they were going to rule over all the Indians round them, but the English, especially those of Connecticut, were friendly with Uncas, Sachem of the Monheg tribe, which lived near them, as the Narragansetts did near those of Massachusetts. Uncas had been faithful to them in the Pequot War, and they had agreed to support him in his just liberties, and were willing that such of the surviving Pequots as had submitted to him should remain with him and live quietly under his protection. This greatly increased his power and importance, and the Narragansetts could not endure to see it. So Miantonomo, their chief sachem, an ambitious man, tried secretly and by treachery according to the Indian way to make away with him, hiring someone to kill him. They tried to poison him, that not succeeding they planned to knock him on the head in the night in his house, or to shoot him, and such like devices. But none of these plots taking effect, Miantonomo made open war upon Uncas, though it was contrary to his agreements with the English and the Monhigs. He suddenly came upon him with nine hundred or a thousand men, without proclaiming war. Uncas at that time had not half so many, but it pleased God to give him the victory, and he slew many of the Narragansetts, and wounded many more, but most important of all, he took Miantonomo prisoner. But as he was a great man, and the Narragansetts a powerful people who would be sure to seek revenge, he did nothing until he had taken the advice of the English. So by the help and direction of those of Connecticut, he kept him prisoner until this meeting of the Confederation. The commissioners weighed the cause between Uncas and Miantonomo, and the evidence being duly considered, the commissioners saw that Uncas would not be safe while Miantonomo lived so they concluded that he might justly put such a false and bloodthirsty enemy to death but in his own jurisdiction not on english ground they advised that in his execution all mercy and toleration should be shown contrary to the practice of the indians who use tortures and all kinds of cruelty furthermore as uncas had hitherto shown himself a friend to the english and had consulted them in this if the narragansett indians or others unjustly attacked uncas for this execution the commissioners promised that the english would assist and protect him as far as they could against violence upon notice and request uncas followed this advice and accordingly executed miantonomo in a fair manner with due respect for the honor of his position but what followed on the Narragansett's part will appear later. End of Book 2, Chapter 23